0: Last time we considered the first seven verses of the chapter this afternoon, we are going to look at verses eight to the end of the chapter. That whole section will be our text. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. And now begins our text. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood; rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which Thou shalt make it of, the length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, the breadth of it fifty cubits, and the height of it thirty cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set on in the side thereof. With lower second and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth, to destroy all flesh. Wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee, and of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. We read the word of God that far. I'd like to also read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith one more verse in the book of second peter second peter chapter 2 verse 5 says that god spared not the old world but saved noah the eighth person a preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly This is God's Word. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, going back to Genesis 6, we recall that in the first part of this chapter, we learned about the moral degeneration and collapse of society, the human race, in the period before the Flood. We saw that the sons of God, or the boys who grew up in the church, looked at the daughters of men, the girls who grew up outside the church, that they were beautiful, and took them as their wives. And so they forsook the Lord, they left the church, and this hastened the spread of wickedness in that period. God saw the wickedness that it was great, And he said that in 120 years, the end would come. God said that he would destroy all flesh from off the face of the earth. And then come the beautiful and blessed words of our text. One can hardly imagine more beautiful and wonderful words in all of the scripture, especially against that dark background, these words. But Noah Found grace in the eyes of the Lord. After those words, as we read on in our text, we find more words about the darkness and wickedness of those days. Verse 11 The earth was corrupt before God, the earth was filled with violence. God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them. And again, verse 17, I bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. Terrible, terrible words of coming destruction. But then these beautiful and blessed words in verse 18, But with thee will I establish my covenant. And thou shalt come into the ark with your sons, with your wives, with the animals, and I will save you and keep you alive in the ark. Can we imagine a more beautiful and wonderful portion of God's word than this? And my question to you personally this afternoon is, how about you? Have you found grace in the eyes of the Lord as well? The text directs our attention to a man named Noah. Who was this man? We first read of Noah in the previous chapter. We read of him in the genealogy in the line of Seth. We learn that Noah was the son of a man named Lamech, chapter 5, verse 28. And in verse 29, we read that Lamech called him Noah. The name Noah in the Hebrew means rest, as in the day of rest. And his father named him that in a sort of prophetical spirit, because he said, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands, because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. The name Noah means rest, The Hebrew word for comfort sounds very much like the name Noah. So his father was making a play on words when he named his son Rest and said he will comfort us in regard to the toil and work of our hands. We are told that when Noah was 500 years old, verse 32, he begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We are told in our text in verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. And then we expect to read a genealogy of Noah, but we don't read that until chapter 10. Here, when we are told these are the generations of Noah, that is a heading or a title of the history of the life of Noah. That's the idea. Who was this man? What was he like? Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked With God. As we saw in Hebrews 11, Noah was a man of faith. He is ranked among the heroes of faith in that chapter. He was a preacher of righteousness in his generation. But we're going to focus our attention for a good while on the first point on verse 8. This truth about Noah Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let's consider together Jehovah's grace to Noah. First of all, let's consider the grace in the eyes of Jehovah. Secondly, the instructions God gave him for building an ark. Finally, the obedience of faith. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What a marvelous statement. Noah lived in days very much like the days in which we live today, and so there is much that applies in the text to us. Noah lived in a time when the whole world had become a place of the greatest wickedness and violence and treachery and all kinds of evil. The earth had become corrupt. All flesh had corrupted his way. And there was murder, there was adultery, there was lying, there was greed, there was lies and envy. And here is Noah living in the midst of this world with his family. God had looked down from heaven and God saw the wickedness of the world. And God vowed to destroy that wicked world, to wipe it clean with a flood of waters And Noah finds himself in the midst of that world, that corrupt, wicked world that God vowed to destroy. And Noah lived in that world as a man who was different from that world. And yet, at the same time, he was like that wicked world. Noah is described as a man who was just and perfect, who walked with God. But if you would have asked Noah, he would have told you, I'm a sinner just like everyone else. And Noah knew himself then as a sinner living in the midst of sinners, just like the prophet would say many, many years later, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips. That's how Noah felt. No doubt to hear of the threatening judgment of God to wipe out the earth in his justice in his holy wrath and indignation to destroy sinners and wipe the earth clean. Imagine how frightening was that revelation to Noah. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord in the midst of that wicked generation. And as we find ourselves also in this wicked world, and we know that God is going to wipe this world clean, That God is going to destroy this world and bring justice and judgment and holy wrath upon this wicked and crooked generation. There's a temptation that we are afraid of the coming judgment. But have you found grace in the eyes of Jehovah? That phrase, that saying in the text, to find grace in the eyes of the Lord, is a very common expression in Scripture. Often that expression is used in regard to other human beings. For example, in Ruth 2, verse 10, we are told that Ruth found grace in the eyes of Boaz. You remember Ruth the Moabitess. She was a stranger, a foreigner in the land of Israel, and she saw Boaz. And when she looked into his eyes, she saw grace in his eyes. She found favor. She found friendliness and generosity and kindness. And she knew herself to be but a lowly and poor foreigner in the land. Oh, how wonderful to find grace in the eyes of Boaz. But how much more marvelous and amazing for Noah to find grace in the eyes of Jehovah, the God and creator of heaven and earth. Now, how can this be that Noah found grace in the eyes of Jehovah, The only way that is possible is that God first shined his grace into the heart of Noah to make known his grace and to work his grace in the heart of that man. God shined his grace in Noah's heart, and that grace of God worked faith in Noah's heart so that Noah, by faith, searched for God. He looked for God. He desired God. And he found what he searched for. He found God by faith. And when he found God, what he found in the eyes of God was a reflection of what was in the heart of God toward him. Grace. Grace. That's what Noah found when he looked by faith into the eyes of God. Is that what you find when you look into God's eyes? Noah found grace. Noah was not able to look into the eyes of God, physically speaking, because God does not have any physical eyes. God is a spirit. God is infinitely exalted and invisible. But Noah was not looking into any physical eyes. He was looking by faith into the face of Jehovah God. And what he saw by faith was a friendly disposition, a kind face, Eyes of mercy and loving kindness looking upon him. Because grace means favor. Grace refers to a favorable attitude of friendliness, of love, of mercy, of the desire to help and to save and to bless. That's what Noah found when he looked into God's eyes. But how can this be that Noah found grace? Why Noah? Noah must have wondered that too. Why me, O God? Why is it that when I look into thy face, I find grace? What about the rest of the world? What about this ungodly and wicked generation? Why me? Why me? And the answer to that question is not because Noah was better than other men. The answer is not that Noah had done something, that Noah had merited that grace or earned that grace. Because grace in Scripture is an undeserved favor. It's a favor of God bestowed upon the sinner. And no one knew himself to be a sinner just like the rest of men. He knew himself to be a fallen son of Adam and Eve. And yet, there it was. There was that grace in the eyes of the Lord when he looked by faith to God. The only explanation, as we look at the rest of Scripture, can be and must be because God was pleased before the foundation of the world to elect Noah, to be one of his children, to be one of his people. God was not gracious to Noah because Noah made himself better than other men. God was gracious to Noah because God wanted to be gracious to Noah because God elected Noah out of that mass of wicked and ungodly men to be one of his children. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, flowing from God's electing heart, that God from all eternity had known Noah, had seen him and loved him, and determined to be gracious to him and to save him. how can God be gracious to Noah, a sinner? The only possibility is Christ. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord because of the Christ who was still to come, the Messiah whom God had promised to send. Because of Christ, who would have taken upon himself all of Noah's sins, all of his iniquities, who would have borne those sins to the cross of Calvary and shed his blood for Noah. Because of Christ, who would earn a righteousness for Noah that Noah could never have earned for himself. When Noah saw grace in the eyes of the Lord, what he was seeing was the Lord looking at him through Christ. The Lord seeing him as he was in Christ. The Lord looked at Noah and saw a man covered by the blood of Christ, righteous in Christ. That's why Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Have you found such grace? If you have found grace in the eyes of the Lord, that means that Christ has also died for you, that you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you know that Christ shed his blood for your sins on the cross that you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the fruit of that grace in Noah's life was, first of all, faith. Noah was a believer. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house, By faith. That faith of Noah was not Noah's own work. First of all, that faith was God's gift. That faith was the fruit of God's grace. God's grace, which shined upon Noah, worked in Noah so that he believed. He believed in Jehovah as his God. He believed in the promises of God to send a Messiah and a Savior To save him from his sins. He believed that God was able and willing to save him and his house from the coming desolation of the flood. He believed in God. He trusted in God. He found all of his hope and all of his assurance in God as his salvation, as his refuge in this present time of great trouble. Do you also believe? Do you believe in Jehovah, the one true God, and his son, Jesus Christ? That faith that you have is a gift of God's grace. By faith, then, we are able to find grace in the eyes of the Lord. How is it that we find that grace? It's by faith. By faith, we seek out the Lord, and by faith, we find grace in his eyes. That faith is not only a certain knowledge that everything that God says is true, but that faith is an assured confidence that God is gracious to me, that God will save and bless me. The fruit of that grace of God was faith in Noah's heart. And by faith, Noah experienced the blessing of justification. The text teaches us that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Noah was just. He was righteous. And the meaning of that, first of all, as we look at the rest of the scriptures, the meaning of that is that by faith, Noah was righteous in Christ by faith in the coming Savior, by faith in the coming Messiah, Noah was a righteous man. He received righteousness from God through Christ. He received it by faith. Hebrews 11 says that Noah became an heir of the righteousness which is by faith. The righteousness which is by faith. He was a righteous man by faith in the coming Christ. He was righteous in God's eyes. When God looked at Noah, he saw a man who was not a sinner, although he wasn't himself, but a man righteous in the coming Christ. Perfect in the coming Christ, without any sin whatsoever because of the perfect sacrifice of Christ. Righteous in him, that first of all. And an heir of the righteousness by faith. Noah believed that he would receive that righteousness on the great day of judgment in the future. He had hope for that righteousness. But that is not all. When the scripture says that Noah was a just man and a perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God, the idea is also that Noah was sanctified by the grace of God, sanctified by faith, through the Spirit of God, so that Noah was Perfectly righteous and just in Christ, and now through the Spirit of Christ, he began to walk in righteousness. He began to live a godly life. He was a godly man. He loved the Lord. He walked with God. He spent his whole life of some hundreds and hundreds, more than 600 years, walking with God enjoying fellowship with God by faith. He was perfect, a perfect man. And that does not mean, as the false doctrine of perfectionism teaches, that Noah was morally perfect and without any sin or any stain whatsoever. It doesn't mean that Noah had achieved a state of perfection in this life, in himself, or even through sanctification. He was perfect in Christ. He was perfect also in this sense that he was a spiritually healthy person. We might say spiritually well-rounded. He was complete. Obviously, he was not without sin. After the flood, we're going to find Noah sitting in his tent drunken with new wine. And laying there naked in his foolishness, he was still a sinner. But he was a perfect man, we are told, meaning that in all aspects of his life, he cultivated godliness. He strove to walk with God. He repented of his sins and forsook his sins. In his personal and private life, in his married life, in his family life, in the workplace, as he was building the ark, in his church life, in worship, in all areas and aspects of life, Noah was a man being sanctified by the Lord, walking in godliness by faith. He was a man of prayer, a man of integrity, a man of honesty, a man of wisdom. All of that because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Never would Noah boast that he was what he was by his own strength. Part of the blessedness of what we read in the text is not only verse 8, but also verse 18. Against the background of a, a world going to corruption and wickedness and degeneration of all kinds, God's promise to destroy it with a flood of water, something never before seen. We read in verse 18, God said to Noah, but with thee will I establish my covenant. A covenant of grace. Imagine that. How frightening was that revelation to Noah to hear that God was about to wipe out all living creatures on the face of the earth. All the animals, all the beasts, all the birds, anything with breath in its nostrils, and all human beings. That's what God says. But then to hear these words, but with you, Noah, I establish my covenant. And you will come into the ark with your sons, with your wife, with your sons' wives, with every living thing, two of every kind, male and female, into the ark. I will establish my covenant with you. What a blessed word for us to hear. As God says to us today, I'm coming, Jesus is coming, and I'm going to destroy this world, not with a flood, but with fire. The sun will become dark, and the moon, the stars will fall from heaven, and all of the universe will be melted with a fervent heat. How horrible, how frightening a revelation. But then to hear God say to us, But my beloved children, with you I establish my covenant to be a God unto you and for you to be my sons and my daughters. Now this was not the first time God had spoken that glorious covenant promise. This is the first time that we read the word covenant in the scriptures. Genesis 6 verse 18. But although that's the first time Moses wrote the word covenant in the scriptures, it wasn't the first time that God established his covenant. He had established it with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And after the fall, he established his covenant of grace with them when he made the promise to put enmity between the serpent and the woman and his seed and her seed. Noah was a man already in God's covenant because he walked with God. That's the covenant relationship. God walks with you and you walk with him. God talks to you and you talk with him. That's the covenant relationship. Why then does God here utter the promise, I will establish my covenant? It was a a promise to give hope, a promise to give comfort in very difficult and very frightening days, such as the days in which we live. Do not fear, God was saying to Noah. I am with you. I will establish my covenant with you. As I have in the past, so will I in the future. I will bring you through this great catastrophe. And I will establish my covenant with you in a new world. The trees will grow again. The flowers will blossom. The animals will give birth and multiply. The human race will spread. A new world is coming, Noah. And I will establish my covenant with you and your seed after you. That's what God promises to us as we live in the last days. As I have established my covenant with you in the past, as I maintain my covenant with you now in the present, so in the future, after the great catastrophe in which the whole universe will be destroyed, I will establish my covenant with you in a new heavens and in a new earth. There will be no more sorrow and no more tears, no more floods and no more fires, no more death and no more suffering. I will be your God and you will be my people in a world that will never end. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Marvelous, free, undeserving grace. And in God's grace to Noah... God also showed him instructions for the building of an ark. That too was an expression of God's grace to Noah. God showed Noah the way in which God was pleased to save him and his family. It would be in an ark that Noah would build. And in that ark, God would save him and his family and the animals From the flood and through the flood from the ungodly world. God said to Noah in verse 14, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Now it is not clear what kind of wood gopher wood was because that word only appears here in the scriptures. There are many theories, but it doesn't ultimately matter. It was some kind of wood. God commanded him to make an ark out of that wood. The word for ark in the text is not the same as the word for the ark of the covenant that Moses would later build, that box in which God's presence was symbolically represented. Rather, the word in our text for ark is the same word that appears in Exodus chapter 2 when it refers to that little basket, that little ark of bulrushes, in which Moses' mother placed him when he was a little baby in the Nile River. That's the word that is used. This word for ark can be translated a box or a chest or a vessel or even a basket, depending on the context. We don't know from the scriptures what was the exact shape of this ark, what it was to be. God told him to build a vessel, an ark, a chest of some kind out of gopher wood, We don't need to speculate anymore about the exact shape of the ark, whether it was an exact rectangular box with sharp corners or whether it was shaped more like a ship. Some would prefer to say that it was shaped like a ship. Some would insist that it's a rectangular box, but we don't know. It doesn't matter. It was a vessel made of gopher wood. And God commanded Noah to build rooms in that ark. The word for rooms in the text is literally nests. It's the word that is almost always translated nest and refers to bird nests. God told Noah to build nests inside the ark. That word for nest, though, sometimes can be used figuratively and refer to a house. God was telling Noah to build specially designed nests or rooms or cells that would be specially designed for each animal and for each human occupant. Then God said to Noah, Thou shalt pitch it, within and without with pitch. Pitch is a black glue substance that nowadays is, used, is made out of coal. But we understand that the coal in the earth today was probably produced by the flood. And there probably was no coal in the world before the flood. So Noah had to make pitch this black glue And he would have to use whatever substances were available at that time. Probably he used trees, the wood from trees and the resin from trees. And that is still a way to make pitch today. Then Noah was to take that black glue and cover the ark with it. He was to waterproof that ark, to seal off all of the boards on the sides of the ark so that the water of the flood would not enter in. God gave Noah the exact dimensions of the ark. This is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, depending on the length of a cubit, 450 to 500 feet long. And the breadth or the width of it, 50 cubits, 75 to 100 feet wide. The height of it, 30 cubits. 45 to 60 feet tall. God was telling Noah to build a massive vessel. A vessel that would be larger than the many, many wooden ships that have ever been built since then. The dimensions of the ark as a wooden vessel are the largest dimensions for a wooden ship known in history, but smaller than the large steel cruise ships of today. A large, large vessel, big enough to carry two of every kind of animal in the world at that time, not two of every species, two of every kind. And we don't know what a kind really was, but there were families of animals in those days, just like today, he was to take two, a male and a female of every kind, and bring them into the ark. The birds, two of every kind, the cattle, two of every kind, the beasts, the creeping things, and seven of every kind of clean animals. If there were still dinosaurs in the world at that time, as may very well be the case, the ark had to be big enough to be able to house dinosaurs. And you ask, how can that be? Those dimensions aren't big enough. Then they must have been infant dinosaurs, if indeed they were still alive and not yet extinct by the time of the flood. A large vessel with many rooms. Then we are told in verse 16 that Noah must build a window in the ark. The word for window in the text is not the ordinary word for window in the Hebrew language. The ordinary word appears in chapter 8 verse 6 where we read, And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, and he sent forth a raven. That word for window is the ordinary word that refers to a window as we know it. But the word in our text, chapter 6 verse 16, means noon or noonday. That's the literal meaning of the word. Some Bible translations translate it a roof. Thou shalt make a roof to the ark and finish it in a cubit above. But probably that's not what the word means. It probably refers to some kind of system of windows. It means a noon or a noonday, like a skylight in which the light of the noonday sun could shine into the ark. Very possibly... God was telling Noah to build a system or a series of windows that could open and shut by a cubit, as we read in the text, at the top of the ark. Then God said to Noah that he must build a door in the ark, in the side of the ark. God does not say in the text how big that door was to be or how that door was to function, but there had to be a door to allow the passengers in and to allow them out. And then we read that Noah had to make the ark with lower, second, and third stories. There were to be three levels on the ark. And therefore, we can imagine that there must have been a way for the animals to move up from the first to the second story and from the second story to the third story, and then back down again. And then finally, we take note in verse 21 that God told Noah to take food All food that is eaten, the food for the cattle, the food for the birds, the food for the beasts, the food for the human beings, all kinds of food, take it into the ark, and that will be for food for you and for them during the time that you are in this ark. Those were God's instructions. We might say very detailed instructions, but compared to the instructions for the tabernacle that he gave to Moses, These are very brief, and we can imagine that God gave Noah much freedom to determine the details of the building of that ark. What is the significance of these divine instructions? Why did God tell Noah to build this ark? There does not seem to be any warrant in the scriptures for saying that the Ark was a type or an allegory for the body of Christ. There have been church fathers from the ancient times who tried to find the gospel in the text there, that the Ark was an allegory of the body of Christ, the church. And then they tried to find a symbolical Significance for the windows and the door and the pitch and the boards and the wood and all the rest. That's not the significance of the ark. If someone would choose to interpret it as a type or symbol of the church in some way, that would not necessarily be a wrong interpretation, probably not the best, but it would be wrong to allegorize all of the different parts of the ark. No. What seems to be the significance here is rather God's command to Noah to build the ark and God's purpose to save Noah in the ark. That seems to be where the significance is found. God could have saved Noah without any ark. God did not need an ark to save Noah and his family and the animals. We sometimes forget that. God is our refuge and our strength. God could have shielded Noah and his family and the animals with his divine power from the waves and the billows of the flood and from the ungodly men trying to destroy them before the flood. But God did not do that. He was not pleased to do that. God does not work that way ordinarily. God does at times do miraculous things. But God commanded Noah to build an ark. And God intended to save Noah and his family and the animals in that ark through the flood. The reason is that God is pleased to save us, his people, by faith and in the way of our obedience. Throughout all of Scripture, we find again and again That God is pleased to save his people by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and in the way of obedience, the way of a thankful, hopeful, obedient walk of life. God gives us commands. And specifically here, the command has to do with the means of grace, the means of salvation, the ark. God was pleased to have Noah build that ark. Just as the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2 to Christians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. When God commands us to work out our salvation, to be active and to be busy in that salvation, God is not telling us to save ourselves. God wasn't telling Noah to save himself. In fact, we can also imagine that Noah would spend 120 years building that ark and then the flood would come and God, by his almighty power, would destroy that ark. God could have done that too. Noah could have labored so hard by his efforts to build that ark and been destroyed in the end anyway. God was pleased to save Noah. God is our savior. God is our salvation. And God is pleased to save us in the way of obedience. Build the ark, Noah. Build the ark. That's my command to you. That's God's command to us as well. God comes to us with all kinds of commands, with all kinds of precepts. Many of them are simply the precepts of ordinary Christian living. God says, build your marriage. Build the ark of your marriage relationship with your husband or your wife. Work on that marriage. Strengthen that marriage. Labor together as husband and wife. Work. Build up your families as you raise your little children. Raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Build your ark. Build your house. Build your Christian schools. Build your mission works. Build your churches. Labor. Preach, teach, witness. That's God's command to us. And we may never say back to God, but thou art my Savior. There's nothing for me to do. I don't need to go to church. I'm saved by grace alone in Christ. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to hear the preaching. I don't need the sacraments. I don't need the communion of the saints. We may never say that. God says, go to church. Use the means of grace. Build the ark. Take the sacraments. Listen to the preaching. Grow in your faith. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for I am the one who works in you to will and to do of my good pleasure. And sometimes God calls us to do extraordinary things. God sets before us extraordinary trials like this one for Noah, build an ark? Noah had never before seen rain. He had never seen a flood of waters. And God is calling him to build a vessel to float on a great flood of waters. Sometimes God gives us commands and he sets trials before us and we don't understand. God is calling us to hard things Difficult paths. He tests our faith. God is intending to strengthen our faith in that way. Think of what God commanded Abraham to do. Go and offer up your son Isaac. Why, Lord? It doesn't make any sense. It's too hard. Go. Obey. Offer up your son. So here, Noah, build the ark. Noah's temptation would have been, Lord, why? What is an ark? What is a flood? What is rain? Why should I do this? It's too strange. It doesn't make any sense. It's not reasonable. God tests our faith in many, many ways. And in that way, God manifests the greatness of his grace because Noah obeyed God by faith. The last verse of our text says in these simple words thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him so did he that's also the verse in Hebrews 11 by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet did not argue with God did not object but moved with fear prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. This text is not all about Noah and Noah's works. This text is all about God and his grace working in and through Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and the grace of God worked that faith in Noah and by faith Noah built the ark. By faith, Noah obeyed God's command, even though it was so strange and so odd to him. For 120 years, by the power of God's grace in him, Noah built the ark with his sons, and perhaps even with other believers who were still alive. They chopped down trees. They carried those logs of gopher wood. They set those boards in place. They smeared the pitch all over the ark, inside and outside. They made window. They made doors. They made stories. They brought food into the ark. All that God commanded, Noah did by faith. And he did so against overwhelming opposition, no doubt, because Noah was a preacher of righteousness, which must mean that at the same time that he was building the ark, Noah was preaching to the world around him, Imagine, for 120 years, Noah building this vessel. No doubt the men and women of the world saw and mocked and jeered and asked him, what are you doing? And Noah preached righteousness by faith. He preached that God is righteous and God hates sin and God is coming in judgment upon sinners. No doubt he called them to repent Of their sins, but they did not repent. By faith, Noah built that ark. God did not build that ark in the same way that God built the universe. God has built the universe. God built the whole universe by his word and by his spirit. Without any human activity or involvement whatsoever. But God built the ark through Noah's activity. I'm reminded of Psalm 127 except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. It's true, if the Lord did not build that ark, there would have been no ark and there would have been no salvation. But God worked in the building of that ark. Through Noah. God worked by his grace to give faith to Noah so that God, through Noah, built the ark. Noah built the ark by grace through faith. Without God's grace, his powerful grace working in his heart, Noah couldn't have even started. He couldn't have even cut down a single branch of gopher wood. It was God's grace. And Noah's activity was the fruit. Noah built the ark by faith through God's grace. Will you also obey God's commands? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The world might mock you for going to church twice on Sunday to receive the means of grace. Preaching and sacraments. When you witness to the world of a righteous God and a righteous Jesus coming to bring righteous judgment, because that's part of our witness, you may very well meet unbelief when you call people and urge people to repent. You may find laughter. Build the ark, keep building the ark. Build your marriages, build your families, build your schools, build your evangelism and missions. Use the means of grace. Do not say, well, God can save me. I don't need to do those things. But say, God has saved me, and I believe God saves me through those things. Moses didn't say, why are we putting all this pitch on the ark? God can miraculously keep the ark from, from, from sinking. Why are, we, why are we bringing all this food into the ark? God can miraculously preserve our lives. What's the point of all that? No, he didn't say that. He did it. He brought the food. He spread the pitch. He did what God said. God calls us to make use of the means of grace and to build. May God give us the grace to obey. Amen. Our gracious God, we thank Thee that we have found grace in Thy eyes. Father, we take no credit for our faith, for our obedience. We give all the praise to Thee for the riches of Thy grace in Christ Jesus. We pray that thou would give unto us continued sustaining and preserving grace to be able to carry out the duties of the Christian life. We pray that thou would preserve us even through the great catastrophe to come at the end of the world, that we might enjoy thy covenant mercies for all eternity.